Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Welcome back to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. The Momatrician. I'm coming at you today with another sister in the fight. She is a psychiatrist, a general psychiatrist with a focus on HIV patients, which is amazing because I didn't even know there was such a thing. I just love what I do because I'm meeting and I'm learning and I'm just like, uh, experiencing so much new stuff because of the people that I'm able to interact with because of this work. So yes, no money is coming out of it yet, but you know what? The knowledge is the power. So without any further ado, Dr. Tori Seppa, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Suicide Pages this beautiful December morning. How are you Thank doing? You so much. I am doing good. Thank you for having me. Yay. So we're going to, we're going to touch on really anything that you would like to touch on. Uh, just you lead and we'll follow the listeners. They know me. We start from A and then before we know it, we're at Z and then we're back at W. It doesn't matter. So wherever, wherever you would like to start, do you want to start with your, do you have any personal stories to share? Do you want to share with your, maybe your work that you do with HIV patients? Thank you for asking. I think, um, you know, I, love what I do, uh, just as you mentioned about where you are in life. Um, and what I enjoy about my job is actually related to the, the privilege of being invited or involved in people's lives at perhaps the most difficult um, junction uh, along the timeline that, that is our lives. Um, or defines one's lifetime, uh, and HIV psychiatry is, is certainly a big part of that. But I also really, um, I think the reason it's a part of it is because of the patients I've historically taken care of. Um, I have been in correction, I was in correction for many years as a correctional physician, um, and I've learned a great deal about caring for those who are not visible and i what i mean by that is um, we have on one hand in society a very visible culture of self you know uh, selfies and uh, you know um making things so having filters and and presenting um an outward sense of of 
who we are now. And some of that can be very healthy. I think some of it is very important to have a place in life to mark as your own and who you are, um, to define yourself on your own terms. Uh, it's empowering. Interestingly, you know, the work that I chose to do was with a population that really has no visibility and is very uh, homogenized. Um, and we really don't hear from them. They're behind bars and they're wearing the same outfits, all of them. I mean, they're, it's the opposite of having identity. Um, and so from that, I've experienced, I've had the, the privilege of being um, exposed to caring for very sick patients, um, both psychiatric, I consider psychiatric illnesses, not medical illnesses, so kind of we say co-occurring um, uh, HIV and neuropsychiatric presentations, and also reproductive psychiatry of taking care of many, many pregnant women and postpartum women also uh, who are not doing so well. So I think the population I generally have gravitate towards are those I think we don't see. And why we don't see them is, uh, you know, they're sometimes not visible. Society has, you know, uh, we have places they, they are now, or, you know, we are not um, culturally open to seeing certain things. And suicide is one of those. And that's why I wanted to participate in this discussion today. Suicide is very often seen as, I believe, it's a, it's almost viewed in some ways like uh, it is contagious if you say it. I know. Maybe you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. Or it's something. And I think the, the issue that I, I, I have a lot of times when the discussion comes about these difficult topics, whether it's HIV disease or it's having a son with, let's say, patient, I have patients who have sons with schizophrenia or daughters with schizophrenia. Very difficult discussion. Suicide. My, what I, what I hear from, you know, people is less about their own um, feelings of shame towards their family member, but more about worry that the that society or others will define that person with a given term, right? And suicide I would categorize along with those terms right there with HIV and schizophrenia. It is almost a, um, it, it's like a scarlet letter, right? If you're- well, I mean, it's a taboo. I mean, it's a, tab it's a taboo here, it's a taboo there, it's a taboo everywhere. And with taboos come shame and silence, which unfortunately, you know, is what kills us. You know, it's the fact that I can't talk about it. In my, in my new book, it's, a, it's funny you said that because in my new book, I actually mentioned, you know, I just kind of like maybe three lines about the fact that why are you able to talk about your son's asthma and I can't talk about my daughter's schizophrenia? Actually, I think I used those exact words because yes. my child has mental illness. Or why is my depression less important than your arthritis? Because my depression is termed mental illness. Why don't we just call it all illness? And that's actually what I that, see. Those are the words it, that's the line exactly. I use in there. I can't tell you ex what you just said uh, pretty much is my motto for practice. It's, it's actually, I have it on, you know, I, my patient, I tell them the first time I see my patients, I say, uh, 
what are the terms that are used to describe whatever it is that has brought us together? I want you to forget about those right now. Mm-hmm. There's no behavioral health, because guess what? There's no American Board of Behavioral Health. Mm-hmm. Behavioral health implies volitional control. Somehow your behavior wasn't correct, was it? That's not, not true. That's not what I, I did not take my exams from the American Board of Behavioral Health. That's an insurance company uh, made up term to make it seem optional. Mental illness or mental health. I'm also not board certified by the American Board of Mental Health or Mental Illness because there it. is none. I am board certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. And so you are here just as you would be seeing an endocrinologist, a rheumatologist, a family physician. Uh, there's no difference, actually, because mm. I am board certified in a specialty under those medical specialties. I don't know about what mental health or mental illness, these things that these terms are not actually within the medical specialty that I have learned. So what you have is a medical problem. Exactly. That's why you're here in front of me. And so I just wish more want, doctors, I wish more doctors will have that mindset of the fact that, you know, lose the mental aspect. If we lose the mental aspect, will you feel the same way about this? If the answer is yeah, then lose the mental I, aspect, I, you know, just take that one little word there, which in Nigeria, I mean, you think it's bad in America, try Nigeria, try the third world countries, try yeah. Africa, try, you know, wherever else. Yeah. I don't know when this whole you know, I don't know from whence it came, but it is here and it's almost here to stay. And when a country is losing the young, the the, the yes. next generation on a daily basis to their own, yes. I don't know what is more serious to talk about. I don't know anything that is more serious to talk about. I agree. I, I find it shameful that uh, in the we live in a country where we are... Uh, able to treat a patient having a stroke within 60 minutes with a powerful agent that will light a clot and prevent this person from having, you know, 10 to 15 years of severe functional, a drop in their functional status. However, for our youth, we have we are nowhere near addressing what their needs are, what is causing the suicide rate that's now, and by the way, adolescence, second leading cause of death right now is suicide. And I, I find, you know, what I find the most compelling, I love data, you know, I love data because I can sit here and I can talk till I turn, you know, till the Till nighttime comes out and <laughs> I can say what I believe, but data is compelling and I read a lot of data. And when I look at data, I can see just from studying the number of deaths from the type of deaths in the last 20 years, mm-hmm. what this kind, what we have prioritized and the population we have prioritized in this country as being most important. Because in 2017, it was the first time since World War II, actually, since the life expectancy in the United States, and we're talking the United States here, life expectancy, right? We don't have, you know, uh, tropical illnesses. We don't have war on this land, right? 
Life expectancy dropped for the first time since World War II. What? In the United States? How did that happen? Well, it was due to a 50-year increase in suicide and drug overdose. Now, having, when one sees that, even though cancer deaths are at their lowest, smoking is at the lowest in the history of the United States since they started counting, uh, started keeping track of it. When we look at that, those compelling numbers, what it tells me is this country doesn't think mental illness or psychiatric diagnoses exist. They believe it is non-essential. And, and then this is a country was, that's supposed to be trailblazing or blazing trails. This is supposed to be a country that is supposed to be ahead of the others. So imagine the burden in the third world countries. And I tell you, yes. you know, I hate to say that my book, my yes. book, but the truth is it took me 17 months of research to write this book. And yes. I, my eyes were open and my mouth was wide open. And just, just to look at the, the, is it, it's the horrific. behavior, it's the attitudes mm-hmm. towards suicide, the attitudes towards people who have HIV or people who are molested, the attitudes towards, there's no one towards the indigenous population in Australia, for mm-hmm. instance, in Canada, in America, and, you know, just give, just those little things. And you wonder why suicide rates are highest in Native American youth, for instance, or Aboriginal youths, you know, because yeah, they don't exist. You're talking about invisibility. Those guys are not even visible in their own country. The African Americans, the study that came out oh, in October, yeah. said that you know African American children now have the highest rate of suicide attempts. Meanwhile, suicide attempt is the is the most significant risk factor for suicide death. So if suicide attempts are highest now in African American. I wonder why. You know, it's like it's well. I'll tell deep, you. I'll tell you why. Decay. I'll tell you know. You why. I- let me tell you, uh, there's two reasons. One is, you know, we did not pass the mental health, mental health again, was separated from what I should not be separated, which is psychiatry and neurology, was separated into behavioral health and mental health. We did not have parity law until 2010 with the ACA, but it was not really implemented until 2014. Only seven states have laws to enforce, quote, mental health parity laws, okay? So what we still have is a two-tier system. In 2017, only 21% of psychiatrists were paneled by insurance carriers. I happen to be paneled, and I can tell you exactly why we're not paneled. I applied for Medicare to become a Medicare psychiatrist 12 months ago. They have not yet approved it. So I have seven patients I see right now. How about that? How about that? And then, so Hmm. yeah, you want a psychiatrist? Everybody wants a psychiatrist. Nobody wants to actually pay for a psychiatrist, including Medicare. Aetna, it's like 13 months ago. They said they sent my contract last February. What are you talking about? Stories, yes. Stories. So they have saved thousands and thousands of dollars because what happens is, Patients in 2017 paid out of network, out of pocket for psychiatry more than any other specialty, more than plastic surgery, more than dermatology. So psychiatry is now a luxury service. It's like going and getting Juvederm. You must have $400 in your pocket 
otherwise the other place you can get it is in jail or in prison yeah. we have a lot of most of the psychiatrists are we have 3,500 psychiatrists out in the state of california 600 work for the state 300 work for the california department of corrections so what you're looking at here is a two-tier system one is for you when you cannot get care long enough you will get somehow into the system where you're either in a state hospital or you get incarcerated and that includes juvenile camps by the way or you have the cash and you pay it as a luxury item and that i believe explains a great deal of where we are right now including who is incarcerated if you look at the demographics we have an incredibly disproportionate number of african-american 41 44 percent i know like i know 40. this like it's terrible and Ugh. and why and why so let me give you an example of this problem i was i said i was in corrections for five years i was my last I, position i started at the county jail in los angeles large system then i went to ice a federal ice facility and then eventually to the california department of corrections i became the chief psychiatrist at the women's prison here in southern california there are two all-female institutions out of 35 institutions this is the largest correctional system in the country on our site california institution for women we have not one but two licensed inpatient psychiatric hospitals totaling 55 beds when i left another i think 10 beds have since been added so that's you know we're talking licensed inpatient psychiatric beds on inside corrections okay so these are people who were found uh to be competent they were not insane okay when they committed their crime but clearly they are which is why we had to build 55 beds right otherwise you don't build a licensed inpatient psychiatric hospital if you don't need one we have what some some people have been in those in their one of the hospitals for most of their sentence because they should have been sent to a psychiatric hospital in the first place. in the first place exactly and that's exactly and when you have the child when you have the california department of corrections building its own we have five uh, ciw in san quentin were the first two and the only two for a long time that had in 55 inpatient beds now you have five institutions at the california department of corrections that have official state hospitals on site okay so that tells you the legal system that's not working if we have to build the psychiatric hospital in the prison right looks like we're sending some really sick people uh, and you know to prison <laughs> maybe Maybe we should think about that. So there are more psychiatrists actually at CAW than primary care physicians. Um, we have out of the 100,000 or about 120,000 inmates at the California Department of Corrections, a shocking 30% of them are categorized. And that's just who, they, who we categorize. I mean, this isn't even, we're not even, people, will hide their illness when they first come in. I mean, this is a, a constant population that's coming in and out. But 30% are officially within what they call mental health, meaning they have a psychiatrist, 30% of the 125,000. And when I look at that, that tells me as a society, we have, we don't see people who are sick 
Yeah. And, and we, they are, quote, mentally ill, and we don't care. Yeah. And so that's why because I really the jailhouse is a representative of the real population. I mean, it's a random sample. I mean, it's mm -hmm. the best sample ever of the, what's really happening in the real population. It's very, very sad. It's, it's just, it's terrible. Very sad. We have a very high suicide rate inside the prison system, correct, all correctional systems, actually. But um, probably, you know, I have spent most of, a lot of my five years those five years it's been two years since I left I feel like I paroled I'll be honest with you it, it, uh, the world is very different after five years behind bars even as a doctor um, but I I I saw more every day my day was about suicide when I was in corrections every single day wow. we either, either cut somebody down resuscitated someone or I was seeing them after the suicide attempt um, or I was uh, we had it was a, I mean, I don't think I can ever, I've been at every phase, every, every, along the process from con them contemplating, them thinking, they saying they don't want to, to doing it, to bringing them down, to resuscitation, to trying to prevent it, to, it's, you know, an incredibly um, heart-wrenching. I was just going to say, me, just one is too many already. And then how do you, as the provider or the doctor, mm -hmm. you also safeguard, you know, your heart and your, your mentation, so to say, because I, I barely do yeah. one, one, one hundredth of what you do. And my wife is always saying, oh my God, you need to make sure that, yeah. you know, you, you get someone to talk to, which is right, because suicidal teens are human beings, but, but for you, that's yeah. like cutting people down on a daily basis. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. You know, it's a good question. I think you raised, um, I, I wrote, I, <clears throat> I think that when I worked in corrections, it was in some ways it was actually easier because um, I, my, um, I, you know, you have to be, if you don't, if you walk in there and you don't have hope in your heart, you're, everyone's going to feel it. And you just can't afford that when you work in that kind of environment. Yeah. You have to, you have to see the world as the cup of half full or you cannot hang in that, in that world because so many people um, are looking at you as a represent, representative of what's the potential. And an example I'll give is, you know, I always I was gonna say, yeah, on a, where, a representative of some degree of sanity. For all this work, and, what's, and what's possible? Um, you know, I always yeah. used to tell the inmates. You know, I, I used to. You know, I I like to have like nice. I, I blow dry my not right now, but I sometimes I, you know, like uh, I'd have a this leather backpack I put on, and I have these leather boots, and and you know I and sometimes I worried a long time because I were thought, oh, I don't have wear things that the inmates feel they cannot have, and then one of them, what I realized is when I would wear these nice shoes or this bag, or I'd blow dry my hair up, you know, the the girls would say, Dr. Zappa, you, you know, you look nice. You remind me of what it looks like, you know, what life looks like on the outside. Thought, you know, I thought, hey, you know what? It, people, if you, if I actually walk in, you know, not looking schleppy, and I actually not do my hair, and I put on clothes to see them, it's a reflection of who they are, because I'm caring for myself, because I'm going to see them like this. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, so I would always get dressed up, you know, and, and when I would see them and I'd uh, make sure that I, they knew that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're going to see this doctor here or there or in an office somewhere, I'm going to wear the same clothes. I'm going to, you're going to, I'm going to look the same. And I would tell them, look, you know, I'm behind bars with you <laughs> 50 hours a week, most of my awake time too, you know, because they would say, well, I'm behind bars, you know, I, my life, I don't have a life. I'd say, we're living a life. We're living a life inside. You know, you're living, this is still life. Life goes forward. And I'm, I'm here too most of the time. Um, it was much, in a way, I could compartmentalize a lot better in that setting. Um, since I've left corrections and I'm working in the community again, and I also, as you know, work with a lot of physicians. Um, and that came out of a suicide of one of my classmates, actually, um, an ER doctor who uh, took his life in 2017. Mm. Uh, and that's the reason I started the group, the physician to physician group, actually, was because I believe that, you know, he was isolated and I didn't see the signs and I, or I chose to ignore them, even though I'm a psychiatrist. And I wish that I hadn't. And I wish that we could have been, if we can be there, maybe for each other, maybe, you know, we could prevent at least one physician suicide. Yeah. We have a higher rate of suicide. Than Are you telling me this? I know this. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's terrible. And we are the ones that are supposed to be taking care of others, you know. It's, it's, but then again, unfortunately for us, we're not even allowed to cry to cry for help because, oh, what? The board is going to get you. Oh, my God, you cannot work in right. pairs. But wait, isn't it normal? I spoke to someone um, on, because I had that article that went viral on um, Kevin MD. I, I didn't realize yeah. it was shared like almost 700 times. <laughs> I didn't know that. And this lady was like, um, she's afraid to, to come out with the fact that 10 years ago, after her husband died suddenly, she was actively suicidal 10 years ago. She's afraid that the board is going to come back and say, wait, 10 years ago when that happened, you were impaired. I was like, what? Wait, you're supposed to be sad if your husband dies suddenly. It is a normal reaction. Because you're a doctor doesn't change, doesn't make you not be normal. And that's when I said, I'm not going to see a doctor who doesn't have normal feelings. It's normal for you to feel that bad if your husband just dies suddenly. Absolutely. She can't come out. Oh my gosh, she just can't. We can't talk about, we cannot have an open forum and that will eat away at us. And it is. And if you look at the loss of life, you know, it's, and it's now a public health problem, by the way. It's not just a physician's problem because physicians see so many patients each of us, it's about mm -hmm. 3,000 patient contacts per year. Mm -hmm. Just due to suicide alone, we are losing 1 million patient contacts a year. Exactly. So exactly. And that 1 million, and that 1 million, I don't even know where that number came from because I, I've heard about that 1 million before. But my thing is, first of all, we don't, we don't know the correct number of doctors that kill themselves because the five that I've known this year, mm -hmm. I spoke to Dr. Leah the other day, she knew three, none of all those eight was written as a report by death. Yes. Suicide. Yes. In fact, the, the one, the, um, the doctor, my classmate who did take his life, uh, who I started the group, in his honor, actually, um, 
so we didn't know how he died for a couple of months. It took me some time to uh, do, or maybe a month, maybe a couple of weeks, I should To do some investigative journalism. like a couple of months. And once I found out, I had to, I held like a little, I thought it was like a phone conference for our classmates so we could discuss it because I was afraid of even posting it on our classes, private Facebook page, because mm. I didn't. His family was very adamant about people, about, they never mentioned the suicide. They didn't talk about it. It was like it hadn't happened. And um, I made a very difficult decision to put his name on the banner of the Facebook group recently. And you can see it there now. Um, it's been two years and, and I have, you know, we've had this discussion several times with uh, one of one of my very incredibly well-respected colleagues and classmates, you know, had, had issues with my mentioning his name in the group even um, about his suicide. And I, and I said, you know, we need to own this um, as a, as a profession. It's not just Jason's suicide it's all of our suicide it's everybody's problem and you know the funny thing one of the reasons why it's like I, I can't think of anything else except a positive and i don't want to use the positive the word positive but it's, it becomes a ripple effect or a positive feedback is that the word? No, that's not what i want to say but the more we don't talk about it the more we are isolated the more we're isolated the more we want to you know, kill ourselves in, in, in isolation, then the more we don't talk about it. And it just becomes like, is that catch 22 or whatever the fancy phrase for that. And then it's like, I don't see any end in sight because, oh my God, I can't talk about it because I don't want to lose my job. Well, but if you don't, yeah. talk about it, you can't get help. And if you don't start talking about it, I will not hear you and join you and say me too, because that's how the yeah. movement made the difference because someone spoke up. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree with you. I think that that's really a significant, um, if we don't talk, if we don't talk honestly about that, then there will be no relief. There's it is no, no relief, difference. Right. It's not going to happen. Because I know when I went, when I went live with my struggles with depression or whatever, which was situational because I had just filed for divorce and everything else that came with that. It was one male doctor that said to me, oh, be careful, lest the board we hear. I said, lest the board we hear my truth. Is that the problem mm -hmm. here? That it's not normal no. to be depressed after a divorce and find out that I owed X amount of thousands of dollars to the IRS. Isn't it normal behavior for me to be sad about it? You want me to fake mm -hmm. that kind of thing? Well, I can't. And guess what? The same board that he was worried about did an article on me <laughs> because it's like, oh, wait, look, someone is owning it, the Texas Medical Board. So we have to be careful that we don't certainly yeah. hush ourselves. And then because they're looking at you funny, it makes it worse. It makes the stigma worse, the silence worse, the shame worse. It is not, and it, 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 it really is not about, um, it is not about, it's the same as not talking about cancer, not talking about um, HIV illness. Yeah, we're coming back we to exactly. We're coming we back not, to that. Yeah, being able to talk are, about it. Exactly. We have to be able to discuss something that is real and, and life-threatening. Incredible risk, right, to the the livelihood of 
every demographic now, uh, and physicians are higher risk. We're, you know, we have very, very high risk. And we, that is actually why I wanted to, to honor my classmate, Jason, because I wanted it to be clear that this was not, this, this didn't define Jason at all, actually. This yes. is our, we didn't catch Jason. So anytime, when someone dies of suicide, no matter how long I've been doing this, how many times I've been involved with, you know, in, in terms of corrections and, you know, just patients and it doesn't matter. Every time my heart sinks mm-hmm. and I think to myself, we did not catch this person. We did not catch this, we did not yes. Catch this person. We did not catch this person. And even when I hear because it Because as you and I know, four, four out of five of them leave a sign. You know, or rather, that, yeah, four out of five of them leave a sign. So yeah, you're right. We did not catch it. But you know, one thing I wanted to go back and say real quick, I love the work that you do, first of all, but I also love the fact that you have figured it out. You know, when I was suicidal because of my divorce and the avalanche of drama that came after that, ending up in bankruptcy at one point, I knew for the fact that my depression was as a result of all of those confounding factors. And the fact that I was given an antidepressant, which caused me to be more suicidal, was an issue that the psychiatrist missed asking me, well, what happened? Because I've never had any mental illness before that, and I've never had Mm -hmm. anyone after. And I own it that I had it, but I also know why I had it. It was something that Mm -hmm. shifted my balance and and knocked me Mm -hmm. off. Mm-hmm. Great, and I was like, "Oh my God, I couldn't mm-hmm. stand." And rather than trying to help me with skills and coping and all that, they were like, "Here, take someone. No, you know what? Let's change the class. No, no, let's let's up the dose." Ma'am is not helping because uh-uh. because antidepressant cannot fix the fact that I owe the IRS over three hundred thousand dollars, you know, and that was mm-hmm. a big problem for me. And you know, after we had the the dot com burst, how many thousands of people jumped to their death because they lost money to Enron. They were perfectly sane before that catastrophe. Yes, yes, yes. You have to, talk, you know, I talk to, I have the privilege of kind of being the one, the suicide hotline for doctors right now, I think. So well, I get I get phone calls from doctors um, all the time. And I hold so a So you're lot one of them of, then, because I know Dr. Weibel does that too. Oh, are you with her? No, we don't, we are, it's not part of, no. I do okay. it separately. Um, and we're actually set, setting up a formal um, doctor-to-doctor um, hotline right now. I would love to be part of that. Setting, Let me know. Yeah, you know what, before we finish, on. I'm going to ask you for the link. Yeah, because I would love to be part of that. This doesn't get any better yeah, than coming from a place of no, you know? 365 days of coverage where you can call another doctor. Um when you're in distress, because uh, sometimes that's just what you need to do. What you need, yes. Uh, and you just need to call another doctor and ask, and maybe they'll say it's okay. Maybe they say they've been through it. They can help you. They can put you in contact with this. Worst case, maybe they need to refer you, you know, to something more emergently. But at least you're talking to someone who can see the world from your perspective. Yes, and that is we're so critical. Right now. Um, because I've had such a privilege in talking to people and really I find that what they tell me, I, you know, they're so afraid to tell anybody and I'm like, that's it. That's all. That, you're afraid to tell. 
okay, I'm gonna give you my seal of you're okay. How's that? So let's let's move, let's figure out how you can get out. You know, and I and I or I say, look, I need you to call. Either, if you can't get into a psychiatrist, call your primary care physician. But this I might you might benefit from maybe you know something while you're doing this. I don't know. Or I say maybe you need to go kind of think about taking some time off from work. Yeah, taking up yes, the exactly. Take up the Taking time, taking time off from work is so critical because you cannot focus on nope. the problem at hand if you're too busy focusing on 35 patients a day. You, not, you can't even check your email. Yeah. You can't, how are you gonna? You gonna find another job? How are you gonna find another job when you're like work closing, you know, finishing notes at midnight? So you're not gonna find another job. This problem is just gonna get bigger and snowball. Get FMLA. Take. You don't have to explain why it is. That's why it's FMLA. Um, and go sit down, take a deep breath, and start thinking about what's going on. You know, and I think sometimes you just need to hear that though from someone who really gets it, yes, um, and who you know is it understands your privacy concerns, understands you know where you're coming from. And so we're working on putting that together actually because I think we need it, and we're you know I, I I'm even. Uh, you know, we're we're gonna do it though. I I would I love to be a part of that. I would now, love to be, be part of that. All we need if we have three hundred and sixty five physicians volunteer, imagine that's one doctor per year volunteering. That's doable, right? Yeah, but um, also remember the fact that at four hundred doctors a year, that's one point one doctors per day that die. And by the way, that number, and I don't know, maybe you know better than I do, but the last time yeah. I had a conversation about that number, that number was actually a study that was done in 78, 1978. Wow. So can you imagine what the numbers are like today? You and I both know people this year that have died, wow. and none of them is we need accounted. to update that. Yes. So yes. imagine Thank you. really yes. true. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think it's under I think it's underreported. There's no question um, I, about I, that. I absolutely believe that. I believe it's underreported. And the next time maybe when I come, I will tell you about why I switched to psychiatry from family medicine, which has to do with suicide. So um a family member suicide. So I will tell you about that. Um, you know, I told you when I when I talked to you, I said I have a lot my a lot of my life is has been affected by suicide, but I really live it in a way that um that, you know, making it a part of what I do, just like oncologists fight cancer. Well, you know what? There's nothing nothing shameful about that, is it? And so same thing. I love um, it. I'm able to to bring to, you know, uh to, to bring light to how important it is. And um and so anyway, I feel I'm blessed that you think that you asked me to join you in this conversation. Oh no, definitely. I, 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 I could I couldn't ask for a better person. And I would love just know that I'm telling you right now that I would love to yes, join right. the movement because we need each other. We are connected by our storyline. Yes. We must be there for, we must be each other's keepers. Too many of us have died. Too many of us yes. really shouldn't be dead, have died. And um, for no fault of theirs. I mean, it just it is what it is. I know yes. I, I didn't because I spoke up. The only reason I'm still alive is because I spoke up. Not everyone has someone to speak up to. I had a, a, a woman right. who I'm so glad that I'm spending the rest of my life with her, but she was like, what? No, 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 no. Listen here. No, no, let's talk about this. Can we talk about this? Can we 
-hmm. Just face the reality that, okay, here are the reasons why you should stay versus saying the wrong thing. Because a lot of times, you know, we just don't see reasons why we should stay. We can't see it Mm -hmm. because we're overwhelmed with all the reasons why we should not stay. And even if it's one reason to stay, that's a good reason. And let's hold on to that reason. And then before you know it, it becomes... That sounds... Absolutely. You know, life is... um, I always tell people when they're struggling, it may seem like this defines every aspect of what's going to be you and your life. But I want you to know that let's draw a line, put a beginning and an end. You're somewhere way at the beginning or in the middle right now. This could just be a blip, Okay. So if you end it right now, it, this will be the biggest and the, the most significant point, but it doesn't have to be. We can keep going forward. And so uh, that is that is the way I see it, too, is that there is a continuum and we're on that continuum. I'm just so happy to have met you. Thank you so much for gracing our pages today. I mean, just so much information, such good work. I have never, when I was a younger version of me as a youth, I did volunteer in the prisons. Um, but even I couldn't take it. And I thought I was gangster, you know, but I couldn't take it. I left. I just could not. I was looking at them. Yeah. I, was just, I felt so helpless. And then I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So, and I don't know if I can bring myself back to doing it because I know a lot of those kids in there are innocent. A lot of those kids in there could be my son. Mm-hmm. And you know, it may mm-hmm. just be my biggest work yet if I go back to prison ministry because it was a good time, but it was, it, I was, I came home my nerves were shot, you know, just, mm-hmm. uh, just mm-hmm. it was a wrong mm-hmm. time. You know, that's the question is, it can go either way. I think you can, um, you can, uh, compartmentalizing is very important in that particular, uh, in, we, in that job, but in all the work we do, but um, in a way, I think uh, when one works, with those who are that that invisible class, as I mentioned, um, you know the the improvement you see and the this rapid progression and progress is so encouraging to you that um, that I actually found it exhilarating. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, me you know, too. Well, you know, that's funny. It's, it's, I'm so glad you're saying. We're like soul sisters. Because when I started talking about suicide, I, I, I'm actually excited to talk about it. And people look at me funny. I'm like, I need to. I need to. I have a voice. I can. And they're like, well, I'll tell you what. If anybody can talk about it, it's you. I said, exactly. This is why I'm actually happy to be drawing awareness and to be drawing attention to, to tell you that. Yes. Did you know that this, that, and the other? Did you know that? And then yes. why not? You know? you're right it actually frees me and every time i finish one of these yeah. I, go, I go yay and my wife is like mm. i'm like yes i'm really happy that i connected with someone else who either walked yes. the walk or is talking their current walk something yes you know? yes yes it's definitely um it makes it it's very encouraging you know there's a uh, a ripple effect i think and you know your voice is amplified when you're able to um, share it and able to feel that what you are trying to build a platform of is it's not just you. And, it's not uh, just me, it's bigger than me. You know how they say if your dreams are not big enough, if they don't scare you, they're not big enough. It's much bigger than me. My dream, by the grace of 
the universe is to become the United Nations speaker on child suicide. And the, the position doesn't even exist. It doesn't exist. And that's why I want to be the one because there's no such person. But there should be, there should be at the rates of suicide, there should be. Wow, I agree. There should be, especially given the incredibly high number. Um, I believe we are really behind on that. And I think that it just has not become a, again, we have to take it back to this is a, this is a failure of uh, a medical system. We have to look mm -hmm. at it. We have to have the, they own it this again. You know, this is not just, uh, let's just turn our back and say, okay, those were people who were, that's not, I think with the way approaches that's not me that's not me that's not me that's not has nothing to do with me well yes. it's someday it will and um, yeah because and once one child suicide touches three thousand people so it's a matter of time before we are all touched by it you know yes I, I i i agree i it's a huge it has a huge impact and um and i believe that we are we really can make a difference and this is a preventable death we yes. spend so much time in physicians working on preventable illnesses, preventable illnesses, preventable, you know, I mean, I believe in vaccines, for example, I believe in educating patients, but what are we doing about educating our patients and preventing suicide, for example, and the exactly. onset of even, we can even prevent the onset, you know, we know there are environmental um, insults that increase the burden and onset of schizophrenia, for example. Are we Educating patients about about parents about that in the pediatric appointments. No, there's no U.S. Preventative Task Force recommendation regarding exactly. exposure to cannabis from 15 to 25 for males and the increased risk of schizophrenia and earlier onset of that. I I haven't seen that recommendation, even though that evidence is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm I believe I I wonder why when we do a lot a lot of other kinds of preventative education. I would think that given schizophrenia has the equivalent um, disability status or level basically in one's lifetime as paraplegia, it's called an equivalent daily. Daily is what we measure the disability um, level. I would think that we would actually want to prevent, help prevent some of those onset, the onsets and provide that little bit of education in the pediatric department. Hey, did you know use of cannabis by males between the age of 15 and 25 can increase the risk of schizophrenia for some? Um, that would seem important, right? But we don't have priority when it comes to psychiatric. Psychology. That's the word. That's the um, word. We don't yeah. have a priority. We don't, it, it's not, it's not going to happen to me. It's somebody else's mm -hmm. problem until it becomes my problem. Then it's like, wait, wait, what? That is so true. Um, um, I, I, so we just don't have that priority. And I think that when you don't have the part, when you're, it's a, everything I think in psychiatry, the way psychiatry is viewed and it has been viewed is as an, Emergent is it is everything is an emergent situation or it's not really uh, significant? Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> that is you know, so either, true. Either you're jumping off the building, uh, or you know what? Then otherwise, you yes. And you know, someone and actually so, told me that he said um, where she works as a hospitalist, 
if she wants to evaluate anybody for suicidal behavior, they have to say, well, have you put them on antidepressants yet? If you haven't, well, go back first and put them on an antidepressant. But wait, what if they're not depressed? What if they're just overwhelmed? What if they have mental right. anguish? What if they have emotional anguish? What if because their son died in a nonsense school shooting, what if it's not something that right this moment an antidepressant can fix? Can we just agree that sometimes you want to just give me the, just validate my feelings, my, the cause of my feelings. Then maybe we can, maybe I'll take your medicine, which takes four to six weeks to kick in. Like in the meantime, what, yes, oh my God, sure. I tell you. We'll talk, and then I'll, I will, I will um, tag you on the, on physician to physician on the, um, the uh, physician's uh, hotline. Yes, Correct. please tag me on that, and then let us know before you go, where can the listeners find you? Do you have like a, a yeah. social media presence, or are you like me, you're just kind of just chilling, <laughs> along anyway? You know, I, it's probably a more disorganized um, <laughs> I like social that. media presence, but um it's it's a it's a it's a uh, a one woman show probably uh after you know when i'm like up in the middle of the night trying you know to keep it up but i do have a twitter um account and it's at tori t-o-r-i-e miller m-i-l-l-e-r-m-d and that's you know um for physicians we have the facebook group of course which is um you know we we keep the community um, very carefully. Uh, uh, the group really out position and so I found Tori Sepper. I found Tori Sepper, MD. That's not you. Oh yeah, sorry. Yes, I just gave you my my old handle. That's right. It would help if I I would be better at social media if I knew my own handle probably on Twitter. Tori Sepper, MD, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm so good at promoting myself, don't I? Am yes, I awesome. I love that? it. <laughs> I, uh, I write, oh, I write a lot for Kevin, for Kevin MD. Um, those, those articles are under hit, you know, on Kevin MD. But um, my own website is toriseppamd.com. So it's okay. T-O-R-I-E-S-E-P-A-H-M-D.com. But, you know, I am um, otherwise... You know, email, Twitter. Uh, you know, I try my best just to um, respond and not. Uh, I'm not probably always the most active on general social media, but I do um, try to, you know, respond and be involved in certain subjects like this. All right, I got it. Thank you so much for gracing our page. Please, oh my goodness, I just tagged you on, on Twitter. Is that the word? I don't know. Yeah, thank something oh, that's okay. or maybe followed yeah, you great. you know what i'm just like well you know what i'm following you now boom i'll follow you as well there you go okay, there great, you I'll follow you. yes i just followed you so okay. all right listeners you heard her her name is dr tori Sepa, healing the practice of medicine i love it i love it i love it i love it and i just found you on twitter that's, that looks like good stuff thank you so much for coming and joining us thank you so much, so much. oh I my god it. i've never really thought about the fact that i had i had a guest who is HIV positive, and she talked about the fact that she had slow suicide. She didn't know that was the name, but she wouldn't take mm -hmm. her medicine because.
because she wanted to die. And today she's doing better. She's at a better place and she's got a whole movement empowering girls and women. But, you know, and she was so happy to be on this show. And I was so happy to have her on the show. But this is exactly what I'm talking about. Just reaching out to people, real people who are living real lives, you know. This is, this is why I do this. I, I just, I'm so thankful. Thank you so much for gracing our pages. Uh, it's, it's been my pleasure, I tell you. Thank you. My pleasure. You look good in the thank picture, you. too. Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. You know, you got to get dolled up every once in a while. <laughs> yep, that's me. All right. Well, thank nice you so much. You um, please come back, like, okay? I beg you, because I, I, I have a feeling I we haven't scratched the surface. I, I just promise. know it. I want to know how you cope. How do you cope? I prom oh, that's a good question. That's, yeah, that's so, a good. We will. I will think. I, I will ponder that for our next. Yes, we'll sure. do that. But before you go, you have to tell us. Give me something like a parting word or some word of advice. How one, I, how I know, one best quote, something. Sure, I definitely will. Um, you know, I, I, I believe in. Well, I think I'll, I'll address how you said. How do you cope? Um. I think uh, I always say do the right thing and you will sleep well um, at night. And that is still what I'm, the motto I'm still living by. I might take the long way um, often, even with it, even if it's with patients, but it's a lot easier to cope and to kind of absorb all of the, um, the, complex um, kind of issues and stories and, and, and problems that kind of come my way when uh, I feel I have um, gone the right, done the right thing for the patient and done the right thing for um, in whatever I'm trying to do and not uh, taking a shortcut, um, even if that means my notes might be a little bit later or, you know, I, I might not see as many people in a day, I might run late, but I really believe in doing things, um, do the right thing when faced with a challenge um, because, you know, you build you one challenge at a time. You know, how you deal with that challenge is really how we become who we are. Um, it's not really in the, in the, when life is easy, it's everyone's pretty pleasant. It's during the challenging times that we have exactly. the opportunity to build our character, you know. So I try to approach things just with very simple um, ethical rules that I have, just, you know, try to do the right thing, um, think about it the right way, and, and hope and believe that, that there will be, I can at least, um, I will have to try my best. That's what I always say. If I can try my, I, once I cannot try my best at something, or if I feel I cannot give it my best, um, the challenge is then I need to step back and, and learn, and learn that. So that's, that's what I try, I'm trying to learn as a way of coping is to say, oh, you know what? I'm at a limit right now you know, and, and uh, I need to step back. So that's, that's the other, other aspect of it. I guess building limits um, and knowing how to, how to stay within them <clears throat> is a method of coping that I think physicians are, um, we all are trying to learn as we go along. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. I took so thank many you. notes. Oh, my God. I've been writing, 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 and trying to listen and then write. But, geez, um, ladies and gentlemen, you heard Dr. Sepper. She came here and she laid it out. She's doing great work. 
taking care of those who actually take care of you. Physicians, y'all need to talk sometimes. Let it out. Come out of that place, that dark place, and, and share and save yourself, for lack of a better word. But she also takes care of the invisible. I love that. She takes care of those who are not seen, those who suffer from depression, those women that are pregnant, the HIV positive patients, the people in jail. I have never really, really like thought about that. So I really appreciate you for coming and joining us today. Thank you so much. And I hope you come back. I hope you come back. Because I don't plan Oh, yes, I will. Good talking to you. I will come back for sure. Thank you so much again. I will. Good talking to you. God bless you. Have Thank a wonderful you. day ahead. You too. God bless you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.